Hello and welcome back. I am so glad that you are here today. I wanted to just start off by saying um, I did pull down the last podcast after some talks with my husband where he brought up some really great points and helped me kind of step back and reevaluate where I'm deconstructing beliefs and being angry and defensive about it and having showing up with a bit of a chip on my shoulder to talk about it. So during listening to my own podcast, I'm like, I need to pull this down because this isn't the message that I want to be spreading. I want to be spreading more of a message of love and, you know, sharing and helping others, not attacking. So I went ahead and pulled that because I want a chance to sit on it and reevaluate and come back at it with a different approach and a different attitude about it. So with that being said, I am still in the closet if we have a lot of interruptions and the sound quality is terrible and keeps changing around, bear with me. We are still uh, in quarantine and we started back to school this week, but distance learning. So I have the kids here and they've already popped in after a minute for a snack because children get very hungry. So I have learned that during quarantine as well. But what we are here to talk about today is, um, I used to be a nurse. I want to talk about nursing and, um, the impact that that can have on the brain and the storage of trauma and really just trauma in general. So when I hear the word trauma coming from my nursing background, I really think of, you know, more of an event like a traumatic event, a car accident, a um, abusive situation, a death of somebody you were really close with. A, um, you know, we I think of a traumatic situation such as something like that. And I've always kind of struggled with, why did I struggle with addiction? I had my childhood was fine growing up. I never really experienced anything that I would label as traumatic, like super distressing. And so I've found myself a lot lately on this quest of like, why, why did, why, why was I such drama and thinking that I had so many things to drink about and, you know, thinking that I had it so hard and this and that. So it, it was an interesting, it's been interesting what I've come up with, but it also makes a lot of sense. So I've since learned that trauma doesn't necessarily have to mean a huge trauma. So it does not have to be something uh, earth shattering or life changing or, you know, incredibly um, intense that happened to you for it to stick as trauma. Um, Let me use the example of, this is a long time ago when I was pregnant with our oldest boy. I was about five months pregnant. I was in the summer before my last semester of nursing school and my husband was up on the roof. I don't even know. I think he was maybe installing a satellite dish, but he went to get off the ladder and he fell. So straight from the roof to the concrete, it was like, I don't know, maybe an eight, 10 foot fall, but it knocked him out. And I was standing there the whole time just watching because I'd been holding the ladder for him. Well, he missed the whole entire ladder. Um, And that just like, you know, that event stuck with me for so long to 
still now when he gets on the roof of the house I am triggered into that memory of him falling and just this panic to the point where I told him I can't watch you when you get up on the house somebody else has to help you I'm more traumatized by it than he is now so it could just be things as simple as that as somebody saying something to you especially as a child a teacher telling you something like in fourth grade when I couldn't see the chalkboard from the back of the room and my teacher just kept getting irritated with me because I couldn't answer her questions I couldn't see what was up there and so finally she's like are you blind and I'm like yeah I kind of am I can't see the board and so when I went home and told my mom this, and we went to the eye doctor, and like literally, he's like, I don't even know how you see, like your vision's horrible. So that's always stuck, you know, with me too. Something as simple as, as the teacher calling me out for something like that has really traumatized me too. Um, so just, there's so many things. So once I learned that, on top of something called generational or transgenerational or historical trauma there is also because trauma can also be stored in our bodies in our dna not are we only dealing with our own experiences so any of our own traumatic experiences that we um you know that we have but we're also dealing with the trauma that's been passed on by our parents by our grandparents great-grandparents like I believe it's generational trauma can be held in DNA and passed down for like 10 to 15 generations that is a tremendous span of time so we are still processing everything that our ancestors went through and think of everything that they've gone through in just the last hundred hundred and fifty years um, as you know women being oppressed and finally we really haven't had uh, our freedom and our rights for that long and still look at the equalities that we're still fighting for we can look at you know what experience does did our grandparents go through did they serve in uh, a war did they you know experience um, migration for immigration did they experience homelessness so they experience their own traumas that they weren't able to process so those get stuck in the body in the genes in the dna and they just get passed on and on and on so we're not even talking about necessarily the physical traumas that happen as well but this can also be talking about um like the belief systems the uh, behaviors, the relationships, the way that we view the world and the way that we're supposed to show up to it, what we believe, the beliefs that we've picked up, that could also be trauma. So this whole concept of actually generational trauma was first kind of recognized around uh, 1966. A study began of children of survival of survivors of the Holocaust and grandchildren, and it was showed that they still were carrying around, um, you know, these fears and this trauma from those things that had happened to their ancestors. Not only generational trauma, so whatever my family has gone through, what's happened in my life that I maybe haven't even associated this trauma because I thought, oh, it's not that bad. I started to really look at my time uh, as a nurse in the emergency room. As a nurse, we bear witness to a lot of things, a uh, life, death, abuse, trauma, grief, 
hopelessness, despair, um, you name it. We see people at their, you know, lowest moments when they need somebody the most, depending on whatever they are going through at the time. People when they're at their most fearful, they're at their sickest. We see a lot. And I always, you know, I was always very empathetic and very caring of my patients. And I always felt very invested in, you know, what happened with them and how everybody, you know, was processing emotions from the family to the patient to everybody around them. And, you know, we all, I think as a nurse, you have this ability to flip the switch and shut it off. You can work on autopilot. You can shut off the emotions long enough to do the job, to save the life, to do what you need to do. And then when you're out of that moment, when the adrenaline, when the adrenaline wears off and everything starts to settle in and you allow yourself to sit with it and process it, that's when the emotions hit. That's when the ugly crying hits. That's, that's when it hits you hard. There's a lot of that, and I held space for that, that this is just how it is, but I never, ever thought of the idea of my body holding on to this trauma. I always thought myself like, you know, these stories fill my heart. These faces are still in my mind, um, but they would fade, like nothing would stick with me to the point of giving me nightmares or, you know, anything like that. I thought, I thought, let me say that. Um, so I didn't understand at the time, all the ways which we can hold on to trauma and absorb trauma and in which trauma can occur to us. And then I really started looking and I'm like, holy cow, like there's a huge statistic of nurses, nurses, one in four nurses suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. That's incredible. But it really makes a lot of sense because if you think about, uh, you know, all the things that nurses are witnessing, they are necessitating people, controlling bleeding, having end of life discussions. And often we're not always thanked for these things that we're doing because we're surrounded by a lot of emotion and you get to be the one that absorbs all of that. So if you ask, like we talked about the flipping of a switch, it's that disengagement, detachment, withdrawal, disconnecting, as a nurse, as a, really any healthcare professional, a physician, a nursing assistant, you almost have to disconnect to be able to just handle that amount of human suffering or trauma or the tragedy that you, you know, see the sights that you might see, you have to learn to dissociate. And then the problem with that is, you know, once we walk away, are we completely reintegrating or are we choosing to stay in that dissociated state moving on through the rest of our lives? So the most, the greatest examples where I've seen nursing, you know, trauma from that show up into my everyday life is really popped up with my children. Uh, for example, we is very, very difficult to take them out on the lake for me. Um, just a fun day of, you think, renting a houseboat and swimming and jumping off the top of the boat and let's get a speedboat and a jet ski. And like that sounds so fun, right? You guys, I'm an anxious mess the entire time. I'm just like seeing um, 
life jackets failing, a kid jumping in underwater and slipping out of his life jacket that is like fully secured and like there's no way that puppy's coming off. But like, what if, what if because of all those years of drownings or near drownings that I've seen where mom and dad turn their back, I just turned my back for a minute and this and like, and they were gone and they were gone. And that's all that I would see in my head is like, oh my God, they're not coming back up oh my God, they're going to jump off this boat and like catch the, you know, the rotor in the back and it's like chop a leg off. Like that's, that's all as they're playing and they're having fun. I'm sitting there replaying these scenes in my mind, just anxious. I'm like, oh my God, where did he go? You know, with my husband, I'm like, he's but where I I can't count them all. I can't see all five. I I only see four. And he's like, chill. He's right over there. Or like, he's drifting too far away. And I can't even tell you how many times I've sent my poor husband into this panic rescue mode of like, oh my God, he's, they're drifting away. They're getting, and I was, I'm in a hot mess, hot mess express to the point where my mom's telling everybody, she's like, we can't, we can't boat anymore for any get together because it's just not fun for anybody. And I come in and then end the day, like just traumatized, extra double traumatized because all I spent that whole time doing was imagining all the ways in which they were going to slip away from me, which I was going to be on the other side, on the flip side. And that's, that's 100% from all the things that I have seen relating again to drownings, near drownings. There's, um, you know, when we get up too high, we recently went on a trip to the beach and we were kind of up on like these bluff cliffs kind of things. They weren't super high, like, but all like my heart's just racing and all I can think is, oh my God, if they just slip on that pile of rocks, if they step too close, like they're gone, they're gone. And that's all I can think is like, don't get too close. You're gone. And I started to watch around me and my 10 year old, it just kind of came to me in some distress and he's like, I can't watch them. They're too close to the edge. And I'm like, oh my God. My years of doing this, they, they've picked up on this while I'm thinking that I've been shielding it. Well, they're picking up on my energy. They're picking up on my anxious energy and picking up me telling my husband, I can't watch It's I'm in a, I, can I please stand back while you stand on the edge of this cliff with them? Because all I'm seeing is them falling and they're clutching the back of their shirts and they picked this up. I haven't had to say a word and they picked it up from me and it's again, like I can't enjoy myself. I can't enjoy the scenery because all I see is them slipping and falling. We go on a cruise ship. Don't lean over the rail. Don't to get too close. All I see is, is me losing you. And whoa, it's really taken me all these years to go like, whoa, I do have some, some trauma regarding my career. My 10 years that I spent in the emergency room, I do have trauma all the things that I've seen. Here's how it's translating over completely fearful to let my children experience anything because of the fear of losing them. So it's really powerful and we don't realize these things. So wondering then, like this really took me on a quest of looking at my drinking patterns because I really thought that my drinking started stemming from after I had gastric bypass because I thought, Oh, well I can't, eat anymore. I had just had an addiction transfer from food as comfort to now alcohol because I couldn't eat. 
and always thinking that, okay, if we take the substance away, then it's going to get better. Because once I stopped drinking, I was able to, you know, stop drinking, but I was smoking like a chain. So I just I transferred over to tobacco, which is going to kill me as well. Just not quite as quickly as, um, you know, as on the path to, it's not quite as all destructive as alcohol was for me, but it just kept transferring and transferring and transferring. And it's like, heck no, we got to stop and look at the underlying problem. What is the underlying problem? And that was something that I, I never tackled until, you know, recently. So yeah, while I was sober for three, four years, I was still using other things to hide the trauma and the anxiety and all the things that I had not processed that I had stored in my body, all of the emotions I wasn't letting, all of the things I wasn't letting myself process by basically telling myself like, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're ridiculous. You're fine. My body and my inner child is just like screaming, like acknowledge that this like traumatized us. Like who cares that if your ego thinks that's not a big deal, like this traumatized you and it's okay doesn't matter how big or small it was like it traumatized you and that's okay you have to freaking honor that and now you gotta go work through that so so we're doing now so if you're feeling we can go through some more of like how exactly trauma affects the brain but that's that's getting into a lot of um you know talking about hormones and different areas of the brain and what those areas are doing and how those areas of the brain are then responding to stress and trauma. And so basically, um, when you have a trauma occur, your body, your brain activates this protective mechanism. So the fight or flight, the fight or flight response, it shuts down all the parts of your body that are non-essential. So like your digestive system, those are getting shut down because at the moment that stress is has thrown you into survival instinct. It's too much for you to handle. It overloads your nervous system. It stops you from processing the trauma. It stops your body in this flight or fight or flight response, that adrenaline response and that traumatic energy, that energy is stored in your muscles, your organs, your tissues, your cells that are surrounding that. I really want you to look when you get like stressed or tensed or you maybe think about a situation that was very traumatic for you. I want you to, to like feel into your body. Do you feel a part of your body tensing up? Is there a part of your body that's in pain? When you think about anything surrounding that memory, a part of your body that holds a lot of physical pain or tension, you're storing trauma there. You're storing something there. And when you store it in your tissue, your brain starts to disconnect from that part of the body because it wants to block that experience. It wants to block that memory, block that recall. And it's like we get stuck in this pattern. You get stuck in almost this uh, misfire pattern because the trauma disrupted your uh, neuro, your neuro pathways, your neuro connections, and it formed a new connection. When you think of this experience or, um, you smell that certain smell or somebody says that certain thing, or you feel this certain way, it triggers, it triggers that pathway and that memory and that new response 
that was created from that very first traumatic event. So there's so much, so many different things that, that go on. Our bodies are incredible. Our brains are incredible and they're all interconnected. So, so now you're wondering like, okay, I've got this trauma going on now. Now what do I do with it? And that's where I invite you, um, healing. You know, you may be going through therapy where you've met with a therapist and you're working with a therapist. You may practice a routine of self care. You may decide to engage in energy healing. A big thing for me has been uh, breath work. Breath work is a great way to get stagnant energy going and to release trauma and emotions from the body. It's been incredible just the the amount of stuff I've been able to release and the realizations that I've had about unprocessed trauma, trauma that I didn't even know that that was something that was sticking with me and bothering me and that had caused this cascade of beliefs or behaviors behind it. So it's really almost like an incredible, incredible discovery, self-discovery experience. Like, whoa, I did not know that that was something that was still affecting me. Like, okay, how can we go about tackling this now? Because, you know, awareness is half the, half the victory, half the battle. So just going back to how it affected me and really my drinking. So like I said, I thought it started from my gastric bypass, but I really started examining my drinking started before that heavily drinking. Um, I would remember we'd have a really tough night at work and we would go to church the next morning, seven o'clock in the morning. We were going to church, which was our local bar to just drink, depending on what had happened for the night, just to release it and find some camaraderie and some lightness among the heaviness. And it really started kind of progressing with that. Um, so I often wonder would I have, uh, you know, turned to alcohol anyways without the gastric bypass and one will never know, but being a nurse dealing with all of that, then I wondered like how much support is out there for nurses? How much is this is recognized? How much is this? Are we helping nurses? Because my, uh, battle with substance abuse, with alcohol abuse, led to some personal choices that I made in my life, some things that I did that led to consequences that eventually led to the loss of my nursing license. Um, and it was kind of funny because when I was appealing that whole process of it and I had to speak on my behalf to basically defend myself, um, you know, I wasn't going to be able to pay for all of the things that I had to do at the time to keep my license because I was a stay-at-home mom. I wasn't working. I wasn't using my license and I hadn't been for a while. And one of the things they said was, why do you even want to keep your license if you're not using it? And I was like, whoa, do you not understand like how hard I worked for that? How proud I was of that? How much I identified with that? So that was a really powerful realization. And I, you know, ever since then, I, I just thought it was funny. Like that piece of paper, I really let define me because I still use the verbiage of like, I used to be a nurse. So the fact that I no longer have that piece of paper that I had it taken from me from some personal choices that I made in my life. Um, I let that strip away the title and the knowledge and the beliefs that I had about myself when I'm like, you didn't lose any of the knowledge. You didn't lose any of the caring, any of the, um, any of the benefits that you could offer anybody. You didn't lose that. Nobody stripped away 
your experiences and your knowledge just because they took away this little title from you. So that's a really powerful realization too, because I really struggled to even talk about ever being a nurse or anything healthcare related or anything to do with science, because I thought you were no longer qualified to speak on these things. You're no longer you know, qualified to administer Tylenol to your own children. It was just ridiculous, these beliefs that I built up around that title and then the stripping away of that title. So it's just been really almost kind of beautiful to unpack these layers of healing and trauma and to watch how many beliefs built on top of other beliefs. And when you deconstruct one, how many other things start resolving and falling away. So Again, if you're dealing with this unresolved trauma, breathwork's a great place to start therapy. Um, I do a lot, a lot of journaling around it, a lot of journaling prompts, a lot of just examining and diving into it. Oh, that triggered me. Why do I feel this way? Getting to the bottom of it, asking yourself why, why, why is that bothering me? Why am I responding this way? Why do I feel like I need to drink to stop thinking about these things? Why am I feeling you know, burnt out? Why am I feeling emotionally numb? Why am I not feeling satisfied? So just lots of questions to ask yourself to reflect on. And then of course, I also really love something called emotional freedom technique. And I have demonstrated a little bit of that over on my Instagram account. If you go follow me there, you can find that in the show notes. I also really love like Reiki healing. So everything that I'm using, holistic healing, I was on antidepressants for a while during my substance abuse and I hated them. Um, It was great because I didn't care, like it numbed everything, but I like, I didn't care about anything, anything at all. Like I went from the extreme of feeling everything, feeling every emotion, feeling it all over my body to feeling nothing. And it wasn't a place that I wanted to stay. Um... So yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can unpack and unprocess the trauma. I think that it's just really important that you find something that works for you. So if you found that you resonated with that at all, or if you're wondering if you have some unprocessed trauma, or there's just something that's sticking with you that you can't shake and it's showing up and affecting other or all areas of your life, then definitely reach out and let's talk about you know, what's going on and how you can clear that because there's a lot of different ways to go about it and every person is different. So what works for one might not work for somebody else. And I, you know, I think an individual approach, the more individual of an approach that you can take to whatever's going on with you, the more success that you're going to have. So definitely reach out. So we'll go ahead. I'm going to wrap that up. Just sharing a little bit of my story a little bit how trauma stores in your body and how it can come from literally anywhere, literally anywhere. So you may know what you're feeling. You may know what your traumas are and you may not, and that's okay. So I hope you guys enjoyed this week. I hope that you are able to take away a little bit of something that's going to help you. And I will see you guys again next time.